And uh, we're going to park in 66 A.D. through 70 A.D. for just a little bit. Uh, remember, we're trying to go through this timeline um, as expediently as we can. We gave ourselves a year to look at the timeline. And so we started in January and we are fast. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. There's two different ones there. Uh, and we are fast approaching, believe it or not, the end of a year. Can you believe it? It's already August. We're in the eighth month, beginning the eighth month. So we have a lot of ground to cover, but uh, this is worth taking a little bit of time. So we're going to move, we're going to look at a wide range on our timeline tonight just to give you some some background. Um, 66 AD was the beginning of the Jewish war. And it culminated in 70 A.D. with the destruction of Jerusalem and the second temple. As prophesied by Jesus in all all the Gospels and really in detail in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke um, in particular. So we're going to start out tonight. um, uh, We're going to get to. The Jewish War, but before we get to the Jewish War, I wanted to give us a brief outline of the history of Jerusalem. And the reason I want to do that is because before we get to the Jewish War, we're going to talk a little bit about the temple. And in particular, um, so I'm going to talk about this over tonight and, and next week kind of the way that we went through the book of Revelation. When we went through the book of Revelation, remember we, we tried to present all four positions. I'm post-mill in my position. Um, I don't assume all of you are. I hope, uh, I hope you are, but I don't know if all of you are. Uh, we are, as a church, um, hold to a post-mill position. But... But not everybody does. So when we went through the book of Revelation, we tried to present all four views, basically, uh, of how you might interpret the book of Revelation. Um, and in, and in, that, in that, we in particularly um, highlighted the preterist view, uh, which means that history... A lot of what was written in the book of Revelation has been fulfilled. Not the return of Christ, not, but uh, Matthew 24, for instance. Um, let's just, let's, I think we did this last time, but I think it's worth our time to do this. Let's go to, um, let's go to, to Luke chapter 19. Let's go there. Luke chapter 19. Um, So let's begin um, verse 41. 
So the setting here in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, is the triumphal entry. Uh, Jesus is making his way. And um, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a map that, well, actually, I may have given you a map. So let's just, uh, let's, let's, if you go to that last, that's that map that is not part of the um, stapled group. And you'll see what's prominent on the right side is, says Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane. And this map has a bit of topography. You can kind of tell if you know anything about topography. You can kind of see the elevations on this map. Well, if we consider the Mount of Olives there, the Mount of Olives kind of looks over Jerusalem. And so as Jesus is um, making his way to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, Uh, In verse 41 here in Luke 19, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. So he's he's on the Mount of Olives and he's looking over the city of Jerusalem. And here's what Jesus said uh, as he wept looking at the city of Jerusalem. And in particular, um, the temple would have been like... So it's hard for us to imagine... But the temple would have been equivalent to about a 40-story building in height. It, it was massive. It, it is said that the temple would have been taller than the Great Pyramid. And if it existed today, it would be one of the wonders of the world, just like the Great Pyramid is. And so Jesus, on, upon the Mount of Olives, is looking over Jerusalem, and, and prominent is the temple. Um, Wherever you believe the temple is, whether uh, it, you know, most people today, it's generally historically believe the temple uh, is on what we call the Temple Mount. There are alternate views, uh, and we're going to talk about that, not so much tonight, but we're going to get into that. And we're going to present reasons why uh, people believe it's on the Temple Mount. And we're going to also present reasons why there are alternative locations where they believe the temple Uh, may have been. And and on this little map I just drew your attention to that I made a copy of for you, uh, you you see down there um, south, so the top of your paper there is north, south of what we call the Temple Mount is, uh, you'll see a little square there, and you'll see in red it says Temple. That's an alternate site for the Temple. Now we're going to talk about... um, why is it that there is even any question? Uh, and that's going to be part of our topic tonight, uh, but we're going to get much more into it uh, as we continue through our timeline. So verse 41, Luke 19, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you, When your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, they will not leave in you one stone upon another, 
because you did not know the time of your visitation. Um, now, what? Let's let's look at this very closely. According to the scripture, what did Jesus draw near and see? What does it say? Huh? Yes. It's not I'm not trying to trick you. At now as he drew near, he saw the city. Now that's that's important. You should make note of that. He saw the city. And what did he say was going to happen to this city? The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and do what? And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you. In what? What's he talking about? They will not leave in you, in the city, one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. So those are important details, and they're going to become important as we consider um, the topic, the topics we'll be covering moving forward, in particular, the Jewish war and, and, and what happened to the temple. Um, and in particular, where, where the temple was. Now let's, um, from there, let's go to Luke's, I mean, to, my, to uh, Matthew's gospel. Matthew 24. Now, um, Matthew 24, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That's an important note. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. That's an important note. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Now, that's an important note. Uh, Obviously, all these things would include what? Based on what what we just read in verse 1. Would include the buildings, yeah. Um, could it cl- include more than the buildings? It, it could, but we know for sure in the context here, at the very minimum, all these things would include the buildings. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So, now this is the second time Jesus has made this statement. What is the context of this? It's different than the context of what we saw in Luke. Luke's context, in Luke 19, Jesus is coming into the city making his initial triumphal entry. The context of Matthew 24 is Jesus has already come into the city. He's already been teaching in the temple. 
And he's leaving the temple and his disciples say, look at this, Jesus. Look at this amazing temple. Jesus says, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So at a very minimum, Jesus here, the context of Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2 At a very minimum, Jesus is talking about the buildings of the temple and not one stone will be left upon another of the buildings of the temple. Now, this is an important, this is important uh, because what What do we know exists in Jerusalem today? It's a sacred site for the Jews, the most sacred site for the Jews. Anybody know what it's called? Huh? The Wailing Wall. And what is the Wailing Wall purported to be? The what? Yeah, specifically, it's the western wall of the temple. So if you, for instance, look on this little map, I'm going to get you a much better map, uh, but I didn't make it for you today. But just for quick reference, if you look at this little map and you see the, uh, the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount, which if you see in red there, Fortress Antonia with an arrow pointing to that large, um, not perfectly dimensional rectangle there. You see that? That's what we know today as the Temple Mount. It's, it is, um, it's about 35 acres. It's big. Um, and, and so the Temple Mount, the, so again, the top of your paper is north. So the west side of the Temple Mount, at the base of it, it's a, it's a big platform. It's elevated. It is um, the west side of that Temple Mount, which supposedly is the remains of the, the only original stones left from the temple. It would have been the retaining wall upon which the temple, temple was built up on that, that Temple Mount. And that was a retaining wall of the temple built by um, the second temple, Zechariah, uh, Nehemiah, and Ezra. And then Herod, remember 63 AD, Herod finished his construction project, which was uh, a very long project um, of doubling the size of the temple and the complex. It was gigantic. All right, so we have two references uh, here. One in Luke, where Jesus looks at the city and says of the city, not one stone shall be left upon another, and you, city, will be leveled to the ground. Then we have a statement by Jesus made uh, after that, once he's already in Jerusalem, coming out of the temple, he's on the Mount of Olives, now with his disciples, and they're asking him, verse 3, Now he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple complex. 
So they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and they can very clearly see the temple. What, whether, you, whether it was on the Temple Mount or whether it was south of the Temple Mount, it would be very prominent and very visible as they sit on the t- on Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when all these things will be. What things do you think they're asking about? When will this happen? When will not one stone be left here upon another and, and they shall all be thrown down? When is this going to happen, Jesus? They're, they're asking him. Wouldn't you want to know as a Jew if your temple that is still under construction? Remember, Herod finished it in 63 AD. So at the time Jesus is talking his disciples, we're still... 30, over 30 years away from construction being finished on the temple. So this glorious temple is still under construction. They're building it. And now Jesus is saying, this is all going to get torn down. And there's not even going to be one stone left upon another. Well, that was shocking to his disciples. When is this going to happen? Tell us when all these things uh, when will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, when we, uh, when we read that today, depending on your brand of eschatology, what you believe about in things, uh, many dispensationalists believe that this, at least, if not directly, there's a subsequent... Um, Fulfillment of this, so it's like a double meaning. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? I mean, honest dispensationalists who read and study the scriptures honestly have to admit that this has to do with 70 AD. We know what happened. The judgment came in 70 AD. There was a coming of the Lord. And when I say that, there's some people who will brand me a heretic. I didn't say Jesus physically came back in 70 A.D. because he didn't. But there was a coming of the Lord in 70 A.D. just like there was in 722 B.C. with the judgment of the northern kingdom. Just like there was in 606 B.C. the first time the Babylonians came to Jerusalem. There was a coming of the Lord there. And then another coming of the Lord in 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came back, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and carried everyone away captive. In other words, this is judgment language. And so, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? The end of the age came in 70 A.D., the end of the Jewish age, the Jewish aeon. The Jewish world, as they knew it, came to an end. Do you know why? Because their temple was destroyed. And from that time, in 70 A.D., what can Jews not do? They have not been able to do this since 70 A.D., can't sacrifice to the Lord. They can't fulfill the law of Moses. They can't keep the law of Moses the way God commanded them because they cannot offer sacrifices. So in all practical ways, 
their world came to an end. The end of the age happened in 70 AD. Not the end of the physical world. Not No. And so we don't want to misread. We don't want to misinterpret. We want to, we want to, we want to understand this in the context that Jesus is talking. And we know what the context is because we, we just read his words that he spoke over the city in Luke 19. And we're reading his words now recorded for us in Matthew 24. So let's, let's continue. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them. Now this is, Jesus wasn't talking to us, but he was speaking for us. Remember, Matthew wasn't writing to us, but he wrote this record for us because we are God's people. We are followers of Christ. We are disciples of Christ. We are the people of God. We are the church of the Lord Jesus. These words are for us today. What does Jesus say in answer to their question? This is really important, I think. Take heed that no one deceives you. I mean, the first thing Jesus says to his disciples is pay attention. Pay close attention. That's what take heed means. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Open your minds and make sure you're not deceived. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning, the beginning of sorrows. We've looked at a little bit of this already leading up to 66 A.D. These things happened prior. Many of these things happened prior to the beginning of the Jewish war. These are the beginning of sorrows. What is famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, kingdoms rising against kingdoms, nations against nations. That's the beginning of sorrows. We haven't even got to the part where your enemies are going to surround you and build embankments and level you to the ground. That's that's still to come. All this that I'm telling you about 30 plus years in advance that I'm prophesying is going to happen. Take heed that you're not deceived. When these things begin to happen, pay attention. This is the beginning of sorrows. This is going to be the beginning of the end of the age, the beginning of my coming or the beginning of the judgment I prophesied over this city and this people who rejected me. Verse nine, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We we looked at this. This this was the environment of Palestine, of Judea. In this 
time period leading up to the war that will begin in 66 AD. It was a horrible place. It was lawlessness abounded. It was not a good place to be unless you were one of the favored ones or one of the rich and famous or elites. If you weren't, you took your chances every time you went somewhere, every time you stepped out. It was a place of lawlessness. And this gospel of the kingdom, but he says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. But this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, we're, we're not doing a um, we're not doing a study on Matthew 24. Um, and so we're not going to we're, we're not going to go in the various um, Ways that we can understand this, but you know, in one way, when we say, "In this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations," then the end will come. There are many who take that and say, "Well, that can't apply to that generation um, in Jesus' day because the gospel wasn't preached to all the world by the end of that generation." But according to the Bible, it was. Paul said it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And by the time we get to 70 AD, there's no doubt that the gospel had spread to the inhabited, at least, no doubt, to the Roman Empire. I would submit to you that it spread beyond far beyond the Roman Empire because of the Silk Road, because of the trade, because of the things that, that uh, I mean, the Chinese came to Jerusalem. The Chinese brought silk. They were there. They would have been there during the crucifixion. They would have been there. They would have been there uh, at the day of Pentecost. So in other words, the gospel was carried to the ends of the earth. And so... Again, I'm not doing an, um, we're not doing a study here, but just a comment there. Um, therefore, uh, verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Now, the problem here is we, we read it, but we don't really understand exactly what this is referring to. There's lots of speculation of what it's referring to. Uh, there's a historical precedent here spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Now, we know um, Daniel prophesied this in his prophecy. The Jews understood this. The people reading this, the disciples of Jesus understood this. They would have known there was a fulfillment of this when Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the altar and then desecrated the entire temple with with pig blood and did that purposefully, you know, in serial fashion just to make the Jews angry because he hated them. Which is why you had the Maccabean revolt and they they overthrew... um, the Seleucids and Antiochus and those people, and they took control of Jerusalem again. 
you know, a couple of hundred years, 250 years before the birth of Christ. But Jesus is not talking about a past event. He's saying, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So obviously, as Matthew's writing this, there's an understanding that they have that we don't seem to have today, 2,000 years later, because there's lots of speculation about what this means and when this will be fulfilled. So let's go on. Then let those who are in then. Now, here's the thing. Then. Then. When, when does then mean? It means then, right? Now, if the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel is a yet future event, then then hasn't happened yet. It hasn't. But if what Jesus is describing here has already taken place, not yet when he's speaking these words, but by now, 2,000 years later, if they've already taken place, or they took place somewhere between 66 and 70 A.D., then is a past tense from our perspective, but from the perspective of the hearer, those Jesus is speaking to on the Mount of Olives, his disciples, then was yet a future time. Then, when you see these things, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in where? Judea. Now notice what he didn't say. He didn't just say, let those who are in Jerusalem. He said, let those who are in Judea, which was the broader region in which Jerusalem is situated. That's an important, that's an important uh, note. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains Let him who is on the housetop in Judea, that would include Jerusalem, not go down and take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it's going to be a difficult journey. Imagine... Miss Barry, being almost nine months pregnant, and you've got to make an arduous journey by foot or on a donkey up into the mountains to hide for your life. And, verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why on the Sabbath? Because on the Sabbath, you were forbidden by the law to go travel by foot more than a mile. Jesus is writing, is saying these words in the context of those that would 
have to deal with those realities when, when they come and when they happen. And, and we're going to talk about those realities when we, when we get into the nitty-gritty of this war and this battle. And these Jews who were, who were at war with the Romans were so bound by the legalism of the war, I mean, of the law, in rejection of their Messiah, there were certain things that they wouldn't even do to basically save themselves. We'll, we'll look at some of those things as we, we go on. And this is what Jesus is saying here because he knows the people that he's referring to here who are going to get caught in this. He knows exactly who they are. They're the legalists who murdered him because he rocked their, their boat and he rocked their world and they couldn't have that. And if you are in their system and if you are under their control, they're not going to let you break the law either. They'll hold you captive. And they did this with the people in Jerusalem. Verse 21, for then there will be for then there's that word again. Then there will be great tribulation such as has not since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, it's hard for me not to, to comment more deeply on some of these things, but you read that scripture and you think, oh, well, or ever shall be. What's the context here? If we're talking about ever shall be in the history of the world or the cosmos, that's one thing. But what is Jesus talking about? When? What was the question? When will... Your coming, what will be the sign of your coming and when, when, when will be the end of the age? With the culmination of the end of the age, there's not going to be anything like this ever again. Now, full disclosure, this is why I do not believe, well, if, if there is, it's not going to be God. Uh, I know there is the belief that there will be a third temple built in Jerusalem. If a third temple is built in Jerusalem, it will not be under the inspiration. It's not going to be God's temple. Because where is God's temple in the earth today? Who is God's temple in the earth today? We are. And Jesus already gave us the interpretation of the third temple in John chapter 2. When he says, uh, tear this temple down. And I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, you're crazy. It took 46 years to build this temple, the temple. And remember, they were still building on the complex. And John, and John says, they did not understand that he spoke spiritually of his body. Yes. No. Oh, well, uh, Emperor Julian uh, sought to build a temple to appease the Jews many, 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 many years ago. But no, the Jews have not. Uh, the Jews, uh, we'll talk about this. I need to hurry. Uh, I'm getting kind of bogged down here. Uh, when we go through this history, so, you know, after, after 70 AD, but really after 135 AD, um, in the second Jewish revolt, the Jews basically were 
dispersed from Jerusalem and they basically had no foothold in Jerusalem uh, as a nation until 1948. Um, now, there were Jews living there. And, and even prior to 1948, there were, there were sizable numbers of Jews. But in terms of being a nation, from uh, since 135 B.C., the Jews were not a nation in their land until 1948. And so um, now they're hoping to rebuild the temple, but they can't do it because there's a building there called the Dome of the Rock on where they believe the temple is. Uh, we'll get a lot more into that as we go. Uh, verse 18, so let him who's in the field not go back to his clothes. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 21, for then, for then there will be great tribulation. He doesn't say for then the great tribulation will be. He says, but then there will be great tribulation. There's a big difference between the great tribulation which is um, something we have created in our modern-day theologies versus great tribulation. Jesus said there will be great tribulation, and there was. We're going to read about it. Uh, and and we, have the, we have the nitty-gritty details of this great tribulation recorded for us by eyewitnesses. We don't even have to guess what happened during this time of great tribulation. We've got the historical accounts. And it's, it's horrible. Um, such as, and shall never be. Shall never be because um, there won't be a temple to be destroyed by God's enemies anymore. Because the temple that's been raised up can never be destroyed because death has no power over it. The enemies of that temple have no power over it because they have been defeated. And the Lord of glory, the Lord of lords, reigns supreme and has triumphed over his enemies. So there are no enemies that are going to do this again to God's temple. It ain't going to happen. This was the last time anything like this would ever happen to God's temple, but not just his temple, but also to what? Because who are we? Who are we? When we what did we learn the book of, what is the book of Revelation a contrast of? A true something and a false something. A true Jerusalem. A true bride and a whore. A city, a natural city of bondage. A heavenly city descending. The bride of the Lamb. So what is the church? The church is the city of God. The church is the holy Jerusalem. Guess what's never going to happen to the holy Jerusalem of God? It's never going to be destroyed the way that earthly city, the way that whore city was destroyed. And that's exactly what God calls her in the book of Revelation. She is the whore. She's Babylon. She's Sodom and Egypt. That's what God calls her in the book of Revelation. And her judgment came to her in 70 A.D. And so there's never going to be anything like that again. And unless those days were short, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Um, don't have time to go into that, but we'll talk about some of that, how this... 
how this applies as we look at the Jewish war. And then he goes on, look here. If anyone says you look here, here's the Christ. Don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So also will be, I'm sorry, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Um, that's, that's interesting. Do you, do, you know what, do you know what was atop the, the standard, the Roman standard, carried by a Roman legion? Do you know what was on top of that standard? Huh? An eagle. Do you know it was gathered all around Jerusalem at this time? Lots and lots of eagles, literally. And what were they gathered? They were gathered around the body, which was the city of God. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is judgment language. This is decreation language. This is language that we see in the Old Testament. when God speaks about judgments coming upon nations uh, such as the Jewish nation, uh, Israel, Judah, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, even Babylon, Nineveh, uh, Assyria. This is decreation language, which always speaks of judgment. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Now that's, that's, a, that's kind of important. Um, Jesus, when he was being scourged, he said to the high priest and those that were interrogating him, he said, you will see the sign of the Son of Man appearing on the clouds. He quotes directly from Daniel's prophecy when Daniel has the vision and he sees one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds to the Ancient of Days and the kingdom and the keys were given to that one. Jesus says, you will see, you will see me, you will see the Son of Man upon the clouds, coming upon the clouds. And they said, what more do we need? They ripped their clothes and said, blasphemy. You've just equated yourself with God. You've just called yourself the one whom Daniel prophesied of. And, and so this is the context. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of the trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, one from end of heaven to the other. Learn the parable uh, from the fig tree. When its branches are become tender, put forth its leaves, and you know the summer is near. He's answering their question still. So you also, when you see, who's he talking to? When you see, who asked him the question? His disciples. 
So he says to his disciples, when you see when you see all these things, know that it is near. What is near? All the things I just told you about. The end of the age, the coming of the Son of Man, the Son of Man coming on the clouds. It's even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, that last verse, those last two verses are very, very important For our study moving forward, I want you to mark those and pay attention to them. This generation and this phrase, when Jesus says this, my words will by no means pass away. Now, what words does that include? It's not a trick question. How many words did Jesus speak? How many of those words that Jesus spoke, how many of those words will pass away, fall to the ground? Most of them? Some of them? Very few of them? How about none of them? How do we know that? Because that's what Jesus just said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, plural, will by no means pass away. That certainly includes the words he just spoke to his disciples, answering their question, what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the, uh, the time, the end of the age? That's, that was what he was answering there. And he says, when you see these things, know that this generation. Now, we could, we're not going to do it because we don't have time. We could back up to Matthew 23 And we read this generation all through Matthew 23, and we don't question who Jesus is talking to because he's talking to the Pharisees. Continue right on to Matthew 24. Now, all of a sudden, this generation is still yet a generation that that has not been born yet or or it's going to happen because every day people are saying Jesus is coming back any time. We've had the predictions now for... I mean, uh, let's see. 1988 was 40 years since Jerusalem was, I mean, uh, Israel became a nation. So it didn't happen in 88. It didn't happen in 98. It didn't happen in 2008. It didn't happen in 2018. That's uh, 80 years. Uh, Or are we at 78? Where are we at? 70... Seven years? Are we at 77 years? Somewhere, so I don't know, my, I'm, but you get my point. It hasn't happened yet. So this generation, if we're still looking forward, where are they? But if we read it in the context in which Jesus spoke it, where is this generation as described by Jesus? Where is that generation? They're absent from the body. Or their bodies are dust. Uh, many of them are with the Lord in glory, but many of them, I fear, are not. They're awaiting the final judgment. So you get my context? 
So the reason I wanted to read that is because as we talk about where, as we talk about the war and the temple and what happened, we need to allow scripture, not history. History can be very helpful, but we need to allow scripture to inform us how we interpret history even. So, you need to, all of that we just talked about, you just need to kind of put that away in the back of your mind as background information and as context as we now move forward talking about the Jewish war and in particular the temple and the destruction of the city and the temple in this war. All right, before we get to that, I, I did. I made for you here uh, what I called an outline of the history of Jerusalem. Now, the reason I wanted to do this is because the first thing we're going to kind of talk about is the temple. And I want to help you be somewhat familiar with um, the uh, landscape and the geography that we're going to be talking about. And it's hard to do in your mind's eye. Uh, depending on, you know, how attuned you are to geography and, and things like that. But a lot of people, it's very difficult. And so this is why I w- wanted to make you some copies of maps so that you can kind of have a visual reference of what we're talking about. So this uh, this little map, uh, I'm going to give you some more, but this, this, this little map here is an accurate portrayal of the landscape of the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is, this is basically uh, an ancient landscape. Um, the landscape hasn't changed, but much of the city has. But, but for, the, for the practical purposes of our conversations, this is what Jerusalem looked like in the days of Jesus and in the days of the Jewish war that we're talking about. 66 AD, this is, this is basically what Jerusalem would have looked like. Uh, it's what would have been there. Um, at that time. So let's, let's go through this outline. But before we do that, any questions or any thoughts um, about all that big conversation we just had? Okay, so let's go through this outline really quickly. Um, so 66 AD, this is where we are. The Jews rebelled. The city was besieged and destroyed in 70 AD. Um, by 130 AD, the city had been repopulated and the Jews revolted again. Um, the guy who led that revolt was a guy named Bar Kokhba. Uh, his name, uh, I, I, we'll, when we get there, uh, we'll give you a little more information about him. He, he was thought to be the Messiah. Um, his name has Messianic overtones. He gave himself a name that has Messianic overtones. And he was believed to be the Messiah that was going to lead the Jews, to victory over the Romans again. You'd think they would have learned the first time, but they did not. Um, and it is not an accident because they were still rejecting uh, the gospel of Christ. And um, Emperor Hadrian um, put down this revolt. And to make sure that uh, the Jews would never revolt again against Rome in 135 A.D., Emperor Hadrian, now this is after 70 A.D., and we're going to talk about what happened after that destruction. 
But in 135 AD, Hadrian um, built a city on top of Jerusalem. So he once again leveled everything that had been rebuilt, what had not been rebuilt. There had not been a temple rebuilt. There was a city rebuilt, and it was repopulated in part by the Jews, but there was still no temple. The Jews were not going to allow, the, uh, the Romans were not going to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple. But they did allow them to repopulate the city. But Hadrian built a city called Alia Capitolonia. Capitolina. Alia Capitolina. Um, and it was literally built on top of. So what you see today in terms of Jerusalem is not old Jerusalem as it was in Jesus' day. It's not even old Jerusalem as it was in 130 A.D. That city went away. It was destroyed. Now, what we know is not only in 135 when this city was built by Emperor Hadrian, but even afterwards when they did exactly what Jesus said, they literally did not leave one stone standing upon another. And they took the massive stones and the stonework of the temple and they, they moved it all around to build Roman buildings and other things. And so some of the archaeology today where they're finding temple stones in certain places, there's no way to know if that stone is supposed to be there or not because the Romans moved stones all over the place rebuilding this city. They didn't have to go get new stones. It was all there. They just, they just tore it all apart and they just... Rebuilt it. And there was no, there was nothing left of the old city that looked like the old city. It was all a new Roman city. Now, this is almost 2,000 years ago. And so, you know, we're so used to seeing pictures of Jerusalem. And we just assume that's, that's the city, you know, when Jesus came on the Mount of Olives. What you see is what he saw. No, that's not what he saw. Not even close to what he saw. And so the old city uh, was torn down, new city built. Then in 320, so then from that time until Constantine comes to power, the Romans are persecuting Christians now. You know, started out Jews persecuting, now the Romans are. Then Constantine comes to power, he makes Christianity the state religion. Um, some question whether Constantine was really a Christian or not. I actually believe that he was. I'm not saying that he did everything right, but I believe God used him in a mighty way, not only to end persecution, but to literally spread Christianity across the globe even more than it was. Uh, because Constantine converted his mother, Helena, to Christianity. Now, if Constantine was doing all of this just for politics... He didn't need his mother to be a Christian, but his mother became a Christian uh, under the influence of her son. He didn't threaten to execute his mother if she didn't become a Christian. Uh, she became a Christian, and in 326, she made one of the first pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And there were no pilgrimages by Christians back to Jerusalem recorded for us until starting around the 4th century or 
326. The fourth century would be the 300s. So uh, this famous pilgrimage of 326 by St. Helena, she's been sainted by the Catholic Church, she supposedly found the true cross of Jesus. Um, Now, when I was in Ethiopia back in August of last year, or September of last year, I was there during the Festival of the Cross. And it it has to do with St. Helena found the true cross, and somebody else had another piece of the true cross, and part of that piece of the cross is in Ethiopia, and they have a big celebration. Um, And my point is, because of this finding of the true cross, supposedly... All of this now hype fervor of Jerusalem now becomes this place of pilgrimage. And as a result of Helena finding the true cross, they start building all the great shrines in holy places, notably the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the most holy place supposedly in Christendom. Um, And so it was at this time that all of this build up of all these famous Christian shrines began to take place. Before 337, it was claimed in Jerusalem that Christ's cross had been found during the building of Constantine's church on Golgotha under the temple of Venus. The, the Romans built pagan temples all over Jerusalem. On the temp, supposedly where the temple had been, the reason the Jews never rebuilt the temple is because the Romans built a temple to Jupiter supposedly on the Temple Mount. And I don't, have, I don't have a doubt. The question is, was that temple to Jupiter on what we call the Temple Mount today, or was it in a different place? Um, that's still an open question uh, with some. Um, so Christian glorification carried on from the 3rd century to the 6th century for about 200 years. They're building Christian shrines, Christian churches, Christian monasteries all over Jerusalem, it becomes a Christian city. Uh, In 614, this golden age was brought to an end by the Persian invasion. Um, And and so the Persians came, they invaded uh, Jerusalem, and they massacred the Christians and the Jews and destroyed churches. In 638, the Muslims come. Uh, The Caliph Umar entered Jerusalem, and according to Muslim historians, he discovered the Temple Mount in utter decay and disrepair, and he immediately set about repairing the site. Then in 688 through 691, the fifth Umayyad Caliph, the Umayyads were, um, they were the Muslim dynasty that ruled Islam. Um, The Umayyads in Spain, Spain was called the ornament of the world. Spain was a Muslim stronghold until later on in history. And it was the Umayyads who who colonized Spain, conquered Spain for the Muslims, and made this Spain just this magnificent place that became known by Christians, Jews, and Muslims as the ornament of the world during the Dark Ages. Uh, well, it was this dynasty. This, these guys come in, and it's the Umayyads who build the Dome of the Rock. Um, that still exists today. And the Umayyads and then the people that conquered them, uh, the, the Abbasids, 
who then became the ruling dynasty of Islam, they, they endured. They had a liberal policy toward Jews and toward Christians. They allowed Jews and Christians to basically practice their religion uh, until 969. Then some other guys uh, came back in. And then finally in 1010 A.D., um, this uh, Caliph al-Hakim, ordered the destruction of Christian churches. And then in 1071, uh, the Turks defeated the Byzantines, and they displaced the Turks displaced the Egyptians as masters of the Holy Land, and then began uh, the Crusades. In 1098, Jerusalem was recaptured by the Muslims, and or by the uh, Fatimids, and then in 1099, the first crusade uh, began, and they conquered Jerusalem. The Christians did in 1099. The crusaders ruled that region from 1099 to 1187, and then it's reconquered again by the Muslims, and in 1247, ultimately, Jerusalem fell uh, again, and then um, it stayed in Muslims' hands until, really until 1917, uh, when the Turks, the Ottoman Turks, finally were defeated at, uh, in World War I. So until that, then, then the British went in at the end of World War I and took control of this region. So, if, if, kind of, if you can imagine, from, you know, from around 1,000 to around 1917, for 1,900 years, just about, give or take a few centuries in there with the Crusades, for, for easily for 1,500 years, Jerusalem was controlled by the Muslims. And we know that they went in and they destroyed Christian churches and Christian shrines. They built... Uh, the Romans had already destroyed everything and built pagan uh, sanctuaries over all the holy places of the Jews uh, because they didn't want the Jews ever to be able to come back and build a temple again or have a city again. So the Romans so successfully erased that city. By the time Helena goes there in 326, you have to wonder what she was seeing. Well, the people that were there were saying, this is where we believe Jesus was crucified. This is where we believe Jesus stood and was judged by Pilate. Um, was it really? It's hard, it's hard to know. All right, so that's, uh, and that's why I wanted to give you this history, basically, because there's not a really clean progression here. A lot of destruction has taken place and destruction, not just time, not just nature, but I mean purposeful destruction meant to erase any visage of a city or a holy place uh, so it could never be reestablished. And the, the Romans were really good at what they did and they did it twice to Jerusalem. So then you have to wonder, 300 years later, 250 years later, what, 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 what's there? 
And now we've got 1,500 years of Muslim rule and you've got a dome of the rock, which is considered to be the third most holy place in Islam there. So it's hard to know where, where did these things really happen. And so that's going to be part of what we're going to be talking about moving forward. Uh, I also gave you then on the back of that sheet, back of page, what, what's called page 85 here, um, the old city. And uh, you might look at this map uh, I gave you on the back of page 86. The old city uh, is not the old city in terms of Jesus' uh, day. Uh, The old city is, is the city and the walls that were established under Muslim rule. So, for instance, in 1247, um, the city as it had become defined under Muslim rule in 1247, where they built the wall. So if you look at this little map on the back of page 86 under the old city, says the old city's current wall. So this is what's called, if you look at a map of Jerusalem today, you'll see this sec- sector of Jerusalem called the old city. Well, the old city's not old back to Jesus' day or old back to David's day. It's old back to the 1200s, really the 1500s. Uh, so the old city's current walls and city gates were built by the Ottoman Empire from 1535 to 1542, under Suleiman the Magnificent. Suleiman the Magnificent was the guy who tried to basically conquer Europe for Islam. He thankfully was unsuccessful. Uh, But he went back in and he built on the old walls that had been already built by Muslims in centuries past, and he built the walls that you now see. So if you go to Jerusalem now and you see these walls that are like 60 feet tall, 30 feet tall, with these, you know, citadels along the wall. Those walls were built by Suleiman the Magnificent. Those walls were not built by King David. They were not built by King Herod. They were built by Suleiman the Magnificent. And those walls um, are defined here. And what's inside those walls built by Suleiman the Magnificent is what we call, is what history now calls the Old City. And that old city includes what's called the Temple Mount. So there are five sections that make up the old city. In the Muslim sector, which is the largest, the Christian quarter, the Armenian quarter, and the Jewish quarter. And then the fifth is, is the Temple Mount. And those are defined on this little map that I included on page 86 of your handout here. And, and you can go to Jerusalem today, and this is what exists. And the old city is there, and you can go to the Christian quarter, Muslim quarter, Armenian quarter, Jewish quarter. You can go to the Temple Mount, all of these things. And then you'll notice this map also, for instance, in the midst of the Christian quarter, you see there the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, Church of St. John the Baptist. So you see all of these... Um, points of interest or these holy places. 
Um, The walls now, they're, they're like, four, the walls are like 39, 40 feet tall. And then you got these citadels. Yeah, they're massive. Um, in the old city. So you have the new city that's built up all around the old city. But the old city is what, what was built there in the 1500s. All right. Um, so, as we move forward and we talk about the Jewish war, and we start talking about the Romans were encamped on the Mount of Olives, and the Romans built an embankment on the north wall of the temple complex. Uh, we, I want you to have some, some reference point of what we're talking about. And I've got some more maps that I'll give you. Now, there was one more map I'll draw your attention to. And uh, this is just another, I think it's another, I don't know if this is on the back. This is on the back of a page. So this is the city of David. So now I want you to look at, I want you to look at this blow up of the city of David. And I want you to look at this um, I want you to look at this map here. Did you see the Temple Mount? Now remember, this is north and this is south. So the south side of the Temple Mount. You see this City of David map? If you notice, uh, as you're looking at it from a landscape view, um, up in the... The upper left-hand corner, do you see the tabernacle up there? And smoke coming from the, burnt, from the brazen altar? Well, that, that tabernacle is positioned... I'm sorry, upper right corner, my, my bad. My dyslexia kicked in there for a moment. In the upper right corner, there you see a, a, a reconstruction of the tabernacle. Um, that would be what is now the Temple Mount on this map. Now, below that, you see the city, the walled city there? That is the city of David. That would be the city, the original city of Jerusalem. That would have been the true old city, if you will, that now is just an archaeological site because there's nothing. It's been built over now for well over. I mean, for 3,000 years it's been built over. Um, but that region right here, that is where the original city was. When David and his men conquered the Jebusite city, the Jebusite stronghold, which is what this was. When he conquered the Jebusite stronghold and he made it his capital, this is the city that was established there. And, and that is where Solomon and David ruled. It's where the kings of Israel ruled. And, and, and ultimately, up on somewhere above that city is the threshing floor of Ornan. 
where ultimately Solomon built the first temple and then the second temple was also built on that same site. So, um, and I gave you some scriptures there from First um, Chronicles. Now, then we're going to end and I'm late and I apologize, but I'm going to finish this. Look at these scriptures that I gave you here on page 87 of your handout. First Chronicles 21, 18 through 28. This is when uh, David does the uh, census and God judges Israel. And he sends the angel of, of, uh, of the Lord, the, the death angel is bringing the plague. And David runs out and he says, God, don't punish the people for my sin. Take me. And um, David is there. And there's a guy named Ornan, a Jebusite. Ornan the Jebusite is threshing wheat on the threshing floor. And while everyone else is quaking in their boots, Ornan is threshing wheat and he looks and he sees the angel of the Lord. And then he sees David and David comes running up and, um, and the plague is stopped there. And God tells David to build an altar on this site. So David buys the threshing floor and that's where he establishes an altar to the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter three Remember, David didn't build the temple. Solomon did. Second Chronicles 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 um, and 2. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. So... Right there, the scripture tells us where Mount Moriah is. Mount Moriah is where the threshing floor of Ornan is. It's where Abraham sacrificed or, or was, was willing to sacrifice Isaac. It became the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, because it was, it, was, it was owned by the Jebusites. It was Jebusite territory until David took it. And then at this judgment of God upon Israel, David... Uh, appeals to the Lord, and the Lord tells him, build an altar to me on this site, on this threshing floor. And this is where Solomon goes up and builds the temple on Mount Moriah, on the place that God showed David. Then in verse 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, Second Chronicles, Now Solomon assembled all the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers and the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant up, the, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. So what's my point here? Wherever the temple was built, wherever the temple mount is, wherever the location of the temple is, it is up from the city of David, which is Zion. So Zion, city of David, synonymous. The temple is going to be built up from there. So you kind of, kind of got the, the view. Now, how far up and how far beyond and up, that's, that's the million dollar question. A lot of people are asking today for lots of reasons. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit as we look at this Jewish war and the destruction of the temple. And then uh, the implications of 
the temple location for us today. All right. Any questions? It was a lot of stuff. All right. Huh? You have one? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, We will get into that. I don't have time today, and I don't have time to do it justice. But suffice it to say, uh, the Muslims believe that is where Muhammad was taken up into heaven, from that spot. Don't they also believe that that's where um, Abraham offered Ishmael? Yeah, and so the Muslims don't dispute that's the place where Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, but they believe that it was not Isaac. They believe it was Ishmael that Abraham was going to sacrifice because Ishmael is the rightful heir, not Isaac, because Ishmael is the firstborn. So all the promises, they they just replace Isaac with Ishmael in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, yeah, and so it's really, that whole thing came, came about later, um, but in the, in the 7th century, and it all has to do with Muhammad, and um, we'll get into that, but that, that's why. Uh, it was not, it was not, there was nothing special about that place to anyone except the Jews prior to that, um, and until uh, a lot of this mythology, if you will, because we don't know where, we really don't know where anything was uh, in terms of where was Jesus really crucified, where was Jesus, uh, you know, it's hard to know. We'll, we'll talk about what we can know and what we do know as we move forward, but uh, you have to hold a lot of that really loosely because a lot of history has happened in the meantime. All right, any other questions or thoughts? All right. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, even as you told David, Lord, to build a house for you and that it would be his son Solomon that would build that house. And we saw Solomon build that house, and then we saw that house torn down because of your judgment upon your people and their spiritual adultery against you. But in your grace, you brought them back to the land, and they rebuilt a second temple. But yet again, Father, when you sent even your son to your people, and he was rejected by them, you brought judgment yet again. And you destroyed that second temple. Father, we thank you that you raised up a third and final temple who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of glory. And Father, we see in your word that even in that day, in the day of a new heaven and a new earth when sin is no more, death is no more, and there is no darkness. Lord, there is no temple because the Lamb is its temple. And the Lamb is its light. And Father, we thank you that we are saved by the blood of that Lamb and we are called your people 
we are called your house and your temple. And that you dwell in us by your spirit. And I pray, God, that you would help us to grasp the magnitude of that. Lord, we hear of dimensions of these physical buildings and we stand in awe of what they must have looked like. But there is nothing that should be more awe-inspiring than the reality that we are your temple. And in us dwells the Lord of glory, the very Spirit of God. Father, we thank you for Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, let us be a people who stand in awe and wonderment of that grace that you have given to us in your Son. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Until next week, we'll pick up. Uh, Just if you want to do some light reading uh, and you want to learn more, you can pick up a copy of the works of Josephus. I'm being facetious. It's not light reading. It's quite heavy reading. Uh, But if you like history, there's a lot of very interesting and detailed history in there, in particular about the things we're going to be talking about uh, in the coming Wednesdays. God bless your evening.